Thanks for the great music. Thanks for the great messages in those songs. Welcome back from break. It's good to be here, and we continue our journey through the book of Hebrews. It's a great book because it brings together the entire Old Testament. I think you could either take that class or just come to chapel on Mondays, and that should count for about the same. (laughs) The main point of Hebrews is that Jesus is the Messiah promised in the Old Testament, and he's so much more. Just to review very briefly, its theme is that Jesus is greater than, he fulfills or completes blank, and then we just keep grabbing things from the Old Testament and putting them in the blank. So in chapter 1, God spoke by these heavenly beings we called angels, but now in these last days he's spoken to us by his Son. In chapter 3, Moses was a great servant of God, but Jesus is the Son who reigns over God's entire house. Chapter 4, Joshua was supposed to give Israel Sabbath rest when they entered the promised land. Jesus gives us a greater eternal heavenly rest. In chapter 4, halfway through, we heard last week about those earthly high priests. Jesus is greater than, fulfills, or completes them. And Jesus is a priest like Melchizedek who got a tithe from Abraham, therefore greater than Abraham, Jesus like Melchizedek, greater than Abraham, and the priests in the tribe of Levi that descended from Abraham. So whether you're a first century Jewish Christian who got this letter first, or suffering persecution in the Middle East at the hands of Islamic terrorists, or whether you're just beginning the second half of a long semester, the application is persevere. Hang in there with Jesus, because he is all those things. If you need to open your Bible, turn to page 1005. Today we have Hebrews chapter 8, and we will start with the first five verses, which talk about a priestly place. Page 1005. Let's read out loud together Hebrews 8, verses 1 through 5. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Priestly places, they're called the holy place or places, and that word's also referred to as the sanctuary. It's called the tent, and it was the tent of dwelling or the tent of meeting, also called by the word the tabernacle. And then later, when Israel got to the promised land, Solomon built a permanent building. All of these are located places of God's gifts, where he promised to come and dwell among his people to hear their prayers, heal their diseases, forgive them sin, give them victory over enemies, and even send rain in times of drought. We need to try that in California. 
To visualize it, that's what the tabernacle in the wilderness looked like. And it struck me that it wasn't out on some mountain, but instead camped right in the center of Israel. God dwelled right in the midst of his people to meet with them there. Then Solomon got a temple built permanently in Jerusalem that will come when Israel enters the promised land and settles there. A lot more on all this next week. We'll move on. When I was in college, trendy technology was these things called overhead transparencies. They were so cool. Uh, Here's one. And the point it makes really nicely is that what Moses built down on the bottom there in the wilderness is based on something he was shown up in heaven. Hebrew says that tent or tabernacle, therefore, was a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. So the point is that all of this, the tabernacle, the temple, the priests, the sacrifices, all foreshadow, they're a shadow beforehand of Jesus' perfect ministry before God's heavenly throne, Hebrew says. Read verses 6 and 7, and Hebrews says this about everything that happened in those holy places. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old covenant, than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So the point is we're not moving from bad to good, but from good to Hebrews repeatedly says something better. And that better is this covenant that we have in Christ. So the rest of the time today we're going to look at verses 8 through 13. And you will hear a new covenant. Let's again read Hebrews chapter 8 with me, verses 8 through 13. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers, on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. If you can read the little microscopic footnote at the bottom of the page, I can't anymore. He's quoting Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 33. 
And it talks about the first covenant, the one established at Mount Sinai, and says it was faulty. What was faulty with it? Well, it depended on faulty humans, on priests who kept dying off, on people who were sinful. And so in our text, verse 9 says, the people of Israel did not continue in that covenant. In the original of Jeremiah, it says the people of Israel broke it. Yet what's intriguing is that the elements of that old covenant you just read about, um, the, the elements of the promised new covenant that we read about are almost all rooted in the old, former covenant at Sinai. For example, in verse 10, the promise to put my laws or words on their minds and hearts is pretty much in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and chapter 10. In verses 10 to 11, these are marriage vows in their culture. I will be your husband and you will be my wife. But God promised, I will be their God and they will be my people in this new covenant. And they shall all know me in this new covenant. But Exodus chapter 6 verse 7, Yahweh God tells the Israelites in Egypt, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am Yahweh your God who has brought you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. Well, that's almost identical. In verse 12 here in Hebrews, the quote from Jeremiah says, God promises to be merciful toward their iniquities and remember their sins no more. But right at Mount Sinai, God came and described himself this way. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful. And gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins. So you very appropriately might ask, what's new? All the promises of this new covenant are already in the old one. What's going on here? Well, in Jeremiah, the passage cited here, which is the only passage in the entire Old Testament to promise a new covenant, the Hebrew word is chadosh. Hebrew is great, you get to spit a lot. Chadosh, often translated as new, is often also their word for a month. Because they're on a lunar calendar, and each month starts with a new moon but they know from the creation story that that's just that one moon god created back again it's a renewed moon each month or the prophet jeremiah in lamentation says that god's mercies are new every morning well no no they're the same old mercies they're just renewed to us each and every morning so what's new here much better to understand what Jeremiah promises a renewed covenant, sort of like a pre-owned car, used. But the new one is renewed in Christ, and it's better because it's once for all, Hebrews says five times. Dr. Mueller in his commentary on Hebrews says this covenant in Christ is faultless, it's perfect, it's complete. And Jesus then twice in the New Testament, in the words of institution, talks about this new or renewed, restored covenant that's now in his blood. 
So what's the problem? Well, not that the first one was bad, but that the former one, Hebrew says, is obsolete. It's growing old. It's passing away because something better has come in its place. So, in conclusion, let's ponder something really radical. Should we take the two parts of our Bible, or the two classes you get to take at Concordia, and rename them? We should talk not about the Old Testament and the New Testament, but about, as Hebrews tells us, a first covenant God made with his people. That was faulty because it depended on humans, but that pointed toward a renewed covenant in Christ. The key point is God is the same, and his relationship with his people from old to new doesn't go from bad to good, from law to gospel, from a mean, angry, law-giving God to all of a sudden a loving God who shows up in Jesus. Instead, as you study throughout the scriptures, God's relationship with his people is the same. And we've simply gone from a good covenant to a better one. Or Hebrews says, a more excellent one in Christ. And Hebrews 13.8 reminds us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we're back to where we started. If all that's true, persevere. Hang in there with Jesus. My closing thought is a song. I would like you to join with me. We will sing twice through and then close with prayer. This is based on Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory. Heavenly Father, those who first received this letter to the Hebrews had to let go, to let go of earthly things of that first covenant in order to focus on Jesus. May also all earthly things in our lives, even those religious things, grow dim so that we might heed the call of Hebrews chapter 12. By your Spirit, Father, let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at your right hand. Keep us persevering in that faith until that day when we are all gathered there in his name. Amen. Thanks for coming. Have a great day.